Folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Coming down Power Talk, it's been a minute. Thanks so much for making us part of your day today. Aspiration in its simplest definition is a lovely flame climbing heavenward. True aspiration can and does make us feel that if God is for us, who can eventually stand against us? We feel a desire to have God on our side, but we need the aspiration to throw ourselves on God's side. The sun is the only remedy for dark clouds in the sky. Similarly, there is no other medicine than aspiration for our troubled hearts. Aspiration is the first rung of the sky-kissing ladder. Realization is the last. True human aspiration has three intimate friends, purification, quietude, and intensity. Aspiration has an enemy called impatience. Aspiration is the mounting flame of our divine wish to raise ourselves to the crest and crowning of divine perfection. The body aspires through action. The vital aspires through struggles. The mind aspires through self-search. The heart aspires to the feeling of union. The soul aspires to the perfection of God's manifestation. Sharanam Anandama, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hey, thanks a lot. And that's Ananda Ma, by the way. Sharanam Ananda Ma. Ananda Ma. That would be Amaji, hugging saint of India. That, 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 that was... Uh... That little opening uh, stanza was, I don't want to take credit for that. That was from uh, uh, the great uh, teacher, Sri Chimnoy. Um, uh, it's really right. great great to have you, uh, Sharnam. I, I just kind of wanted you to talk about a time in your life when you um, were at the bottom of the pit and you realized that it was actually the best place to be because that's where realism is activated. Whoa. That's a nice, heavy start off. Uh, well, in my long study of the Dharma, and Dharma is the pathway of liberation. It's the pathway that leads out of karma, but karma is repetitive thoughts, words, and actions on the materialistic plane. Karma is limited to the earth whereas dharma is a pathway for the individual through this jungle of karma and repeating situations into the realm of the stars. So in general, when something is really bad, when there's some terrible situation going on in an individual's life or in the life of a nation, such as we are in right now collectively, or as in world society, which is an even more expanded version of troubles and bad situations. Whenever a being is in this situation, it's a double-edged sword. On one side is the pain and suffering and desolation and isolation of feeling alone and feeling hopeless and helpless. And yet right on the other side of that feeling is the feeling of liberation. Liberation is possible in these dark moments. So why would that be? That would be because when an individual or society is experiencing bad things, stressful things, deadly things. These are situations that were put in motion a long time before with many, many repetitions. So collectively, in a state of disintegration and opposition that the United States is in right now, the so-called United States, would be more accurately called the ununited states. Lots and lots of situations and bad things were allowed to go on and on and were perpetrated as normal, such as racism, sexism, empire building, genocide, ecocide, imperialist desires. In other words, 
all of the situations that have been have been created over a long period of time. And so when the chickens come home to roost, so to speak, that is when there's a chance for reflection and contemplation and ownership of the situation. So bringing it back to the individual level, the individual personality level, when a person is experiencing extremely hard times, they have a chance to graduate and go beyond being just a victim or a hapless bystander to their own harsh situation and claim ownership of it and look more deeply. And this is a practice I learned many years ago when I was undergoing counseling in an emotionally traumatic time is to go within at moments of trouble to remove yourself from outside influences and just ask quietly with closed eyes in a darkened space so in other words reduce sensual input but just focus on your trouble and ask yourself in a very direct and quiet way what does this remind me of what is going on in my life right now that is so troubling and what does this remind me of And 99 times out of 100, if a person spends just a few moments in contemplation of what their current situation reminds them of, they will see how there's a chain of events that they started in motion at some earlier time. And this could be a long time ago, as in childhood or early adulthood. There's always a chain of events that leads to the present moment. That is how karma works. Karma, the word means deeds, D-E-E-D-S. And so deeds are repetitive, thoughts, words, and actions. They repeat and echo from when they're first put out in a thought, in a word, or in an action, and then they echo and they return. So there's nothing really new under the sun. Everything has already been put in motion before. And the simple contemplation on what does this remind me of gives an individual a chance to see what started this situation and also gives a chance to end it. So the follow-up question to what does this remind me of is, Have I had enough of it now? So in other words, not only claiming ownership, stepping out of the victim role, but claim proactive ability to reprogram, to release oneself from that cycle of karma, to not let it go forward. This is a conscious choice. My guru, Amaji, also known as Hugging Saint of India, has a really simple thing that she says all the time happiness is a choice the consciously evolving soul the soul that's seeking liberation or emancipation from karma eventually becomes very conscious of what they think what they say and what they do because knowing whatever is thought said or done will echo into the future so A bad situation is a time to stop the wheel of karma that brought one to that position and to just take a break from it, to contemplate how it happened and how to prevent it from happening in the future. So that's why the dark pitfalls, when they come to us, it's actually the hand of karma knocking on the door saying, okay, you've completed another cycle of ignorance and not being clearly aware of what you're doing. So here's your chance to stop that wheel and to quiet your mind, find out what it's about and choose a new course of action. I appreciate that a lot. Um, Definitely resonates with me. Um, I just was wondering if you could personalize um, in your own life, uh, a time when you decided to break the karmic cycle for you. Well, uh, when I got that teaching in therapy, 
I had uh, gone through a really rough, tough uh, breakup of a relationship. And the story really isn't as important as the aha moment when somebody older and wiser and more intelligent than me said, well, what does this remind you of? At first, that was a witnessed process of being in a therapist office when I was in the absolute down and out place of being married and having my wife running off with another man and just kind of I was in a I was in an emotionally wrecked place. Both of us had said things that were so bad that that was obviously going to be the end of our relationship. And I was distraught, very badly distraught and isolated. It was wintertime in Oregon. And in the depths of grieving and mourning and going through it, I got that very sage piece of wisdom that sage practice what does this remind me of as soon as I dug into that for just a few minutes in silent meditation the whole chain of events of of how I got to that place came up at that point I had a chance to make a conscious choice so that would be an example I've had many many traumatic experiences in this lifetime and yet since I've been practicing throughout and even before I had that little bit of wisdom Hmm. I've had a natural sense of optimism and ultimately knowing that we choose our thoughts we choose our emotions we choose our associates we choose everything if we become conscious of what we're choosing on a moment-by-moment basis. So there is a transition period. It could be many years. It could be many lifetimes when instead of acting completely unconsciously and at the behest of our own unconscious desires and the entanglement with other people's unconscious desires, there's a turning point when we can take charge and become very specifically self-motivated, self-activated, proactively choosing our thoughts, words, and actions. And that's something that each soul hopefully will come to eventually. It's like it's there's no guarantee that anybody's going to wake up and suddenly go on the emancipation path, but the dark times, the harsh betrayals and endings can be the beginning of that path. That's what I would say. Um, do you feel that, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, how invested what was your ego in your, how did you learn to get out of your own way in your life? Well, I think as I've learned the basic tenets of, <laughs> of uh, Dharma and reincarnation, how reincarnation works, And now I have proven beyond the shadow of a doubt in my own mind. In other words, I've reached a state of realization that reincarnation has been going on for all of us for a very, very long time. For for years truly, that's no longer a fanciful thought or just an idea or an anecdotal story that someone told me like, oh, I met this person and I knew I knew them before. We all do that. We meet people. Hmm. We enter situations that are familiar. Even though we've only ever met this person one time in this lifetime, it's very clear instantly that we have been around that entity before. So having a long series of, you know, self-created, you know, breakdowns and issues (laughs) that, you know, there's there's just a choice. You either claim ownership of everything that happens to you or you just pretend like you're a, 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 a leaf in the wind you know it's like a it's a choice factor it's all about choice and making making choices on a microscopic one breath at a time type of level it's a, a very intense practice but eventually it becomes mindless 
And then eventually, after a lot of time, it becomes automatic. And then eventually, after a lot of time, the bliss that is naturally at the core of the soul, the nature of the soul is what you call sat-chit-ananda, truth, sat, consciousness, chit, ananda, bliss. That's the true nature of who we are at every single moment. It's just that we lose sight of that. We fall off. We fall off by identifying with these small outer things rather than the truth of who we are. So eventually it's a practice of soul recognition, recognizing yourself as a soul as opposed to a set of circumstances. So the human being is in this world, but the human body, mind, and circumstance is a temporary condition. So these temporary conditions that we are in always wind up in death. The law of karma says if it's born on earth, it dies on earth. It's a condition of temporary existence. That's called the maya. The word maya means obsession with temporary phenomena. In other words, being caught up in small things that always come to an end. So the ego, being closely connected to the physical body, to the emotional mind, and to the circumstantial existence of being an earthly being, is the, the ego is what is subject to death and suffering and pain. So if there's any suffering and pain involved, you know that it's the ego, and it's a temporary situation. So if you understand that the soul nature, your true nature, Every single human being has a true nature called the soul or the light body. The light body is indestructible, never feels pain, and is constantly evolving to higher levels of intelligence with more understanding for the totality of the cosmos. Of course, the human mind can only manage a very small bandwidth of situations that have to do with the human body. So the human body and all of its pleasures and pains is subject to annihilation, guaranteed, and is subject to change. And so we know that if every, anything is causing us a lot of pain and we're going through a lot of changes and suffering, we know that that has to do with the ego. The ego is in the process of dying from the moment of birth until the moment of death. The ego is in the process of dying and fading away and disappearing. So eventually learning how to understand what the feeling of the soul is and what the feeling of the ego is. The ego is subject to a constant up and down and desire for pleasure and avoidance of pain. However, usually there's a few moments of pleasure and a lot more pain or a lot more just nothing going on except random thoughts. So eventually, the old soul sees through this dilemma and starts to self-identify as a soul, as a being of light. And if, if you've worked on the practices that are involved to get the feeling of the soul, if you've done this long enough, even on the worst day when terrible things are happening, you can still feel the underlying bliss because the absolute worst thing that can happen to you is that you're killed. And the soul knows as soon as the body drops away, it's an opportunity to ascend. So eventually the fear of death is overcome and the soul is ready to be in the main thing going on in a person's life. So that's how you deal with it. It takes a while, though. You don't just go from total ignorance to emancipation and one easy breath it's there's a long bit of practice involved and many lifetimes of suffering so eventually eventually we recognize the suffering is something we've been doing for a long time and we want out of it sharon i'm, I'm 43 years old um i have uh definitely been um trying to work towards my true nature um my uh my habitual nature tends to get in the way a lot of the time which uh is um you know lack of completion uh focus and discipline um i just wonder about 
the idea of, I mean, if you could just talk a little bit about the tra- transcending the cycle of birth and death and, uh, and reincarnation and, um, and, you know, ultimately where you're at in your journey as it relates to, um, yeah, reincarnation. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a big question. I, ever since I, uh, at a very young age, age 21 by total accident, quote unquote, instead of going to a big rock and roll show at a famous San Francisco venue called Winterland, my friends had told me, we're going to go to Winterland tonight and our other friend can't go and we have an extra ticket. Do you want to go? They didn't tell me what it was. And I said, yes of course, because I had been there many times before. I would basically drop LSD or get really high one way or another and dance to loud electric rock and roll acid rock music that was prevalent and beautiful in the early San Francisco music scene. We're talking the late 60s and the 1970s. That's when I was a young man. However, when we got to the venue, the late great Winterland, which has not existed for quite a while, Instead of a acid rock show with big guitars and drums and wild dancing and all, it was Ramdas. Hmm. And Ram, and Ram, this was in October of 1973. And Ramdas had just come back from India. He had this whole crew of beautiful young people that were like his disciples, and that would have included Krishna Das and Jayutal and Bhagavan Das and a whole crew of people, some of which have gone on to become famous in their own right as as time went by. But the point being that that night was a turning point because I was exposed to spiritual teachings from India. It was a very powerful night where I thought I was going to dance my brains out but instead, I came into the realm of spiritual practice and spiritual emancipation and yoga, meditation, kirtan chanting of bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, the philosophy. That's what Ram Das was big on, the philosophy of yoga. Brilliant speaker. Highly recommend anybody listening to his speeches especially his early speeches and reading his books. So anyways, by complete good fortune, I got brought into a realm where suddenly people are talking about these things. They're talking about karma, reincarnation, dharma. So right off the bat, if you want to become an emancipated soul, an emancipated soul is one that no longer needs to keep being reborn again and again and again because we've all done it so many times. We've been reborn again and again and again, and at the moment of death, we pretty much forget everything we did. The soul gets temporarily recycled back into the astral plane, which is the atmosphere of the earth, That's where all the disembodied souls of the unenlightened dead reside in the astral plane. It's a region in the atmosphere of the Earth. It goes up a few hundred miles. It's where all the low-frequency thoughts and vibrations and all the beings that could not maintain in the cosmic realm of the cosmos. In other words, the Earth-bound soul could not ascend and live free of the body. It needed to keep having this body, mind, and circumstance experience, and it kept up winding dead again and again and again. So anyways, after this process has gone on for a long enough time, eventually the soul tires of this process because in every previous lifetime, we always wound up dead, and it's very painful to die. Dying sucks. Even if you have a long, happy life, and you have a wonderful family and everything's going your way, at the end you lose it all. And it's very traumatic. And all the other beings around you that are not on the enlightenment path are very traumatized. 
And so we're connected to our families and to our other associates on Earth and to the Earth itself through a long series of traumatic associations that always end in separation and desolation. So the very first thing is to understand that you are indeed trapped. You've been imprisoned in this situation for a long, long time. And it's going to continue for a long, long time until you make a change and see it for what it is. So the very first thing is you have to know you're in prison if you want to get out of prison. You have to know that you keep coming to this earthly world and that you always wind up just in a pile of dust again. So the very first thing is to realize your situation and that you don't have that much time. And you've already been doing this for a long time. So when you look at the totality of all of your lifetimes, it can date back thousands of years, thousands of different body, mind, and circumstantial experiences, always ending in death. So that's a heavy load. Our mm. proclivity is to wind up dead. So in order to free yourself from that, you have to understand all of the thoughts, words, and actions that kept bringing you back down into that low vibration state where you wound up dead. And you have to slowly, over time, replace those actions, thoughts, and words with thoughts, words, and actions of liberation spiritual practices. You're not going to climb to the mountaintop of emancipation if you're, you know, eating chocolate ice cream, going to bars and watching porno every night. You know, you're not you're, you're not you're not going to free yourself up if you're fighting and struggling and going off on people and letting other people going off on you. You're you know, there's you don't you don't rise up in consciousness until you change what you do to thoughts, words, and actions of emancipation. So you have to know some truth. You have to know how the situation works. You have to know where you're coming from. So that's the very first thing is self-awareness and realizing that this has been going on for a long time. So you just have to, you have to grab yourself by the... Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're really um, very... Um, uh, you're making a lot of sense, but I, I, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, and, and if you can, uh, you know, uh, sort of try to personalize it, but do you think that within the, the bhakti yoga kirtan community, um, what makes you an authentic leader? And do you think that there are a lot of charlatans out there just because, um, I've talked to a lot of teachers and healers, not necessarily musicians, but, um, you know, and, and they talk about this, um, sort of stillness, mindfulness, like you said, self-awareness. And yet some of the people that put them on the path, their teachers, um, I, I can't say for sure whether they did or did not do what they were accused of doing, but they turned out to be frauds. And I just oh, want, I, I, but I just, you know, what? I don't want to focus on the frauds. I want to focus on you. What makes you an authentic leader within the community that you dwell? Well, there's an old saying from the Bible, before I was a yogi or had any kind of uh, association with uh, Eastern philosophy, Buddhism and Hinduism, I, I was born up as I was, my mom and dad were Christians, so I was baptized uh, in a Christian church, and I went to Sunday school, and I went to church. I was more or less forced to go to church relentlessly until about age 17, when I finally rebelled, and I just wouldn't go anymore. Hmm. And, But there's certain key things that are said in any religious or philosophical setting that you might find yourself in that ring true. So we have these truisms that occasionally penetrate our unconscious minds. Mm. But in the Christian in the Christian one, one of the ones that I would always remember was there's a couple of them. One is unless ye become as the little 
children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. In other words, unless you are innocent and free and available to change and laugh your way through it and not get into this big destructive fighting and killing, in other words, turn the other cheek, become as a little child, and you're innocent. Then you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that seems like a pretty arcane way of putting it, but it, 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 that always made sense to me. And then the other one is, by their fruits you shall know them. So by the things that people say and do, you will see the net result of what they added to society. And yes, indeed, the history of yogis and spiritual teachers, quote-unquote, coming from the East to the West and then exploiting it for money and for sex and for manipulation, it's rife. Same as any other male-dominated religions. The Catholic Church, look at the Catholic Church. You have these guys claiming to be celibate celibate uh, masters that that are they're detached and they're they're pure at the same time they're molesting kids and doing all kinds of bad evil stuff and being all kinds of rip off artists you have you have leaders on all different levels and it's mainly men not exclusively but about 99% and so over time, people reveal themselves. By their fruits, you shall know them. So the philosophy that some of these people might be teaching has validity. The actual teachings, the actual philosophy predates all of us in this society by thousands of years. It has validity. And there's lots and lots and lots of really great teachers that are authentically decent human beings and don't do bad things. And so I tend to try and get my teachings and my trainings and my, you know, associate with, with people on a higher frequency than I am. That's one of the principles of bhakti is to realize that you need help. Mm. You, you realize that things are chaotic. You realize that there's a lot of stuff going on. And you want to make it through, and you need help. I want to and just so, no. I want to be clear yeah. that that as it relates to you as a as a teacher, um, you would say that your credibility lies in the in that in that idea of innocence, and then also um, backing up deeds, not words, so to speak. Like you follow, you are yeah, action, yeah. actions speak louder than right, words. So right. over time. You build a body of work, you build a body of practice, and you build a body of association. Mm -hmm. So personally, I've been in the background ever since since that fateful night that I went to see Ramdas in 1973. I was 21 years old. I'm 69 years old now. But that one night was a turning point, and ever since that time, I've been in I've been involved in these practices and i've seen all the charlatans come and go and i'll i'll be kind and not mention a lot of names but very famous people in the american yoga community have had done all kinds of bad things and and it there's a there's a discernment that comes when you see it happening you 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 call it out and you walk down a different road and you know, you you try your very best to not hurt anybody. The very first principle of spiritual emancipation is ahimsa, no injury, no killing. You don't kill animals. You don't hurt people. You don't tear them up. You don't abuse them. You, you know, it's like nonviolence. That's a very, because by law of karma, whatever you do to others ends up happening to you. And Conversely, what's ever happening to you that seems violent or seems dark or painful or betrayals and so forth, you can be sure that you did that to somebody else in a previous lifetime or this lifetime. But the karma keeps revisiting it, 
And when you go through enough painful experiences, you try and do your very best to not to no longer cause suffering for other people and therefore yourself. So I've I've gone through a long period of working on these things and trying to stay within my own consciousness and you know not fighting not arguing not not killing you know so you build your credibility one lack of violent action at a time one one day of peace and love and harmony at a time it builds up over time and then after a while you know you you're not no, nobody's coming into your world anymore that wants to fight with you and you're not willing to fight with anybody else. So that's another thing from my early Christian bringing is if someone's, if someone slaps you on one side of the face, turn your face, let them slap you on the other side. Don't fight back. That's mm-hmm. the thing of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Love thy, love thy enemy, love thy enemy as thyself. So it's, it's a matter of seeing everybody else as part of your being and withdrawing from the pain cycle as a receiver or as a giver. So, Sharnam, we have a game on this program called Name That Voice. I don't expect you to know who this is, but pay attention to the content, and we'll come back okay. and, break, and break it down. All right. Spiritual thing is, is basically when you're playing, and it's just not bebop, this is other music too, but bebop is in jazz is probably... That's the high end of what we do mm-hmm. as jazz musicians, but but just the spirituality comes from it's it's like it's like something now this this may sound abstract but it's something that Wayne Shorter said to me one time he said that the only way you can really 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 play is that you have to go to the store and buy some milk for your grandmother you know <laughs> and when he said that to me and the drummer. Omar Hakim. Now he had a few few drinks, a few old drinks. Right. I said, "Wow!" But <laughs> a couple of days later, it hit me, you know, because, you know, it's like to come if you have one of those kind of families, you go to see your grandmother. She says, "Go to the store and get me some milk," and you go there. There's a love. There's a there's something. There's a love for something other than just what you're looking at. It's like your own personal love which you know which could come from god which could come from the force of life it could be whatever it is that makes you that you think makes you tick mm-hmm. that if you tap into that whatever that is it's not it's not a material it's not the instrument it's not the notes it's it's the life force it's this, it's it, and that is very when you operate on that band that's uh that's or on that uh, frequency in life that is very spiritual you want to take a guess at who that is well it's obviously maybe a member of uh, weather report or something i'm not sure i mean that's an incredible i don't know how you guessed i mean uh I, actually no i'm sorry it was he, he that's so funny because he mentioned wayne shorter but actually that, that was uh return to forever that was my first interview with stanley clark um, oh, nice. And, uh, and you know, I wanted you to, uh, so much of my show is a reflective mirror of what I believe are the most important and salient things that each person can do to affect positive change in their world, not through what I say, but through their own words and, you know, just being on the planet longer and obviously, um, you know, communicating through music. And I just wanted you to talk about the idea of, obviously you had that, that very impactful moment with Ramdas at Winterland, but, you know, and musically speaking, especially amongst a band, um, if you could talk about operating on that frequency collectively of basically serving the music and, like he said, going to the store to get your grandma some milk. <laughs> okay, well, I think there's a point when you when you've a, achieved a level of musical skill where every time you play down, sit down and play music, it's incredibly enjoyable. There's kind of a natural feeling of gratitude you have that you you have the ability to do this. That for whatever reason God gave you 
this ability and you yes you've practiced and you've you've worked on making your skills better but at a certain point you're just channeling you're channeling divine energy that's when the soul comes through the mm-hmm. instrument and through the music so it's a double-edged thing on one hand you have to practice the physical thing of your instrument the you know the the timing feeling the intensity etc etc that's the skill part and then there's the channeling part which is having the gratitude for being able to do this so you're 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 bringing a you're bringing a a giant jar of milk for all of humanity when you're playing (laughs) beautiful music because you're you're giving them the gift of this soulful expression and if you're in a group of like-minded souls that that have a, a musical dialogue and a musical camaraderie, then yes, it's 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 really heightened, and uh, it's a gift. And you, it's it's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. The more the more music you play for others, the more happiness you have, and the more transformation because music helps people break down their walls. It helps them transcend their thoughts it music is more powerful than thinking it it goes straight from soul to soul so it's a soul soul transmission Hmm. and it's connected through the heart and through the head because the ears you know and the brain process it and you feel it in your heart so it's automatic it's like this form of communicating where everybody's talking and everybody's listening simultaneously. So it's a very, it's a wide open field and people that get to do that are extremely lucky. And so for yours truly personally, it's just this great feeling of gratitude that I get to do this. And I should say that both my late great father and my late great grandmother, his mother, were both masterful musicians. So I got it. I was steeped in that in my family life. So I I got a a big blessing of coming in through a musical and artistic family. And so, you know, that was kind of like, I was kind of given that gift as before I did anything. So what about, I mean, can you relate it to, uh, a band or an improvisational group or it's much easier uh, in some ways uh, if you're doing uh, solo uh, kirtan chanting or with a couple of when you're in a band um, there can you want to lower the drama needle I just wanted you to talk specifically about a time in your life once you had had the rudiments under you obviously you had the history with your family lineage but once you could kind of not have to worry about the the rudiments and let go, when you found yourself in a group, collectively, where you were able, where you were able to raise the collective consciousness of the band, it would go out to the audience and then come back to the band. All the cats, you know, whether it's Ry Cooter with Jim Keltner, Stanley Clark with Return to Forever, Krishna Das, it doesn't matter. Um, that's kind of the goal. And for me, over the last few years, especially, you know, I've been on this journey for 10 years as a journalist. But the last few, before the pandemic, um, my healing was that soul-to-soul recognition that you're talking about. Being part of the audience and recognizing that it's imperative upon me from minute one to let the band know that they need to play to the source, to the heavens, and not mail it in. No formula trip, because if the audience goes there, the, the musicians will go there too. And, and we've kind of gotten into a time where, at least in a, a lot of live musical settings, not necessarily Kirtan, but we've learned to sit and stare at somebody's facility and sort of clap and applaud after a song, even if we don't even like the song, as opposed right. to just pure and utter liberation and making the cats know that they, I mean, that that I want to be healed. And I just want to know from an artist's perspective, if you could talk about a time with a band when that kind of uh, cultivated and, and ultimately came to, came to be. Wow. That's, man, that, I could go on and on 
with that um that when you're saying all that stuff i totally see a sequence well luckily for myself yeah they're very i would like i said when i was younger when i was under the control of my parents i took music lessons for years and years piano clarinet and you know singing okay so that's that was in my bloodstream but i rebelled against it because it was my dad's thing not my thing so i went off to college and i started playing african drums and i Hmm. i wanted to play guitar and dulcimer but but um when you play african drums and everybody's kind of in this groove it's obviously so much bigger than yourself and it's it's like it's like a like a locomotive or something it's it's made up of all these different parts but they're they're all different and yet they're all playing from the same source and you have people dancing and singing and it's like a big celebration so i'd say that happened for me really early on when i was first started going to college the very first day i went to college i started taking african drum classes and one of the other guys in that class who met some of your listeners might know is now a super famous drum player a guy named kim atkinson and a really famous teacher hmm. of African drumming and so i would say that would be like a very primal realization like wow we're one large organism you know we might be like 15 people with 30 hands and we're playing 10 different rhythms but they all link together and there's this feeling of oneness is animating the whole situation. And yes, we have a master who's teaching us and they put it in motion. And once it's in motion, it just goes and your, your, your hands are just doing what they're doing. Your ears are listening and you're completely connected with a bigger sphere. And then you realize that over time you're connected with the ancient masters who, who invented this music, you know, a long time ago. And so there's this larger community of souls. So I've been really lucky all the way down the line to play playing in styles of music. The one straight came straight from the soul, Hmm. soul music. I mean, nothing is more soulful than African music. That is the root of all Western music, including European and classical music. It comes from Africa, the beats, the harmonies, the connectivity of it, the synchronization. So I think some people are just, they have that natural feeling like they want to do it. And then of course, if you become conscious of that's what you're doing, then you can bring that, you can bring that feeling to the music very consciously. And I'd say that part of my musical expression came a few years later in 1977, along with, uh, a good friend named Guru Mook Mark Harris, we formed the Rhythm and Bliss Band. And that was what you would call an early New Age world music band in Sonoma County, California. And that was, once again, we were con- we, the, what we called our music was Music in the Key of Light. And it, so it, it had an uplifting message, a message of spiritual unity, a spiritual a message of equality and peacefulness. We were all associated with the peace movement, women's liberation, you know, back to the roots of creativity. So it's kind of been an element in the music that I've played all the way down the line. And now in my older years, I do a lot of solo gigs and I do a lot of gigs with just who's ever right there to play right now. And it, it just happens. If there's one really strong person that holds the space and allows it to happen, then it empowers everybody else to show up that way too. And for most people now in my world, it's not even a spoken of thing. It's just the way it is. So, well, I mean, um, I know that uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, George Marsh, a uh, great drummer, actually, I believe he's teaching at Sonoma State uh, now. He learned, I saw him yeah, he, in the, in the, and listen. What's that? He was in a very... Oh, my God. Camp. I mean, all those guys I've interviewed, Mel Martin, Kenneth Nash, Dunaway. Yes, I was, 
th- th- those are the guys that were playing in the local nightclub in Katati, California, when I was going to Sonoma State College. That's who we would go see on the weekends. That Amazing. Is so freaking classic, and, man. That and, band, and, those records and, are burning records. Unbelievable. And they're, they're coming right from that soulful place. They're all so skillful on their instruments that their ability to play, that's not even, it's just automatic. They're already, they're already in a high state of accomplishment. So when they play together, and that, that's a prime example of people that just know how to let the flow go. And just they just step in. It's like a, it's like this m- momentum that's already going, and they just reach into their bag of tricks of sound, and the sounds just start merging and morphing and flowing together. That, I mean, that's my favorite kind of music is improvisational music, and you know that's the those are the guys that I would hang out with to get the inspiration. I was going to the reason I brought up the reason I brought up Marsh was because uh, his. His teacher was Quasi Badu, and I wasn't sure if you would actually. Um, I know you mentioned Kim Atkinson, but I wasn't sure if you had less. I mean, I think Baba Tunji was at Sonoma State for a minute during that time, at least in the early seventies. I wasn't oh, yeah. sure who you. Uh, and, and you know, the reality is that everything. Uh, we are all from the motherland. I mean, the first universities were there. The first medicine. The first the instruments uh and uh, you know what the one thing i wanted you to talk about to the audience about is um something that happens to me when there is a really deep percussive groove in the music could be any genre um is what i call what is called descarga a spiritual discharge uh yeah from the uh and it just it 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 is an intoxicating feeling it's like um stillness amidst high high loud sonic music but yet you are just in this you know just this this warm you know and i wanted you to talk about um you know and maybe in the in the in the bliss band or you know the opportunities that you had to um have a descarga uh through music Oh my God, that's almost every time we play. Almost, I mean, occasionally things go wrong, but that's basically all we have the whole time. So every you've never, I mean, you 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 don't, I mean, you've never played. Uh, one thing that drives me crazy is just this idea amongst my generation and younger, um, this need for, um, you know, playing the song the same way it is on the record uh, you, you, you did you ever um i mean just because some cats i mean reality is that some kids some cats have to play the gig gigs formula trip gigs to pay the bills but i mean that was something that you were never never um no we were we were playing our own music and improving all the time we always tried to bring in players that love to jam and do extended jams. The Rhythm and Bliss Band in particular, we had a very simple formula that was really successful. Is the first set of music or two sets, it's all dance music and it's all based on like Afro-Cuban rhythm ah, and, love it. And, and jazz, and but with very positive lyrics and kind of like encouraging lyrics. And so there was a philosophical intellectual level to it that just makes you feel glad to be alive. It's like very, it's a celebratory type of music. And then the dancing, when people, once people are dancing and singing, you're, you're straight at the core of the African style of music. And so that's where it would start. We'd work that hard for an hour and a half or two. And then the second step would be a, like a deep meditation gig. You've partied, you've gotten really high, <laughs> you're just you're pumped up with endorphins and ox, ox, uh, oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin, and you know the, all the love vibration of being around a bunch of other people having a good time. And then we would sit everybody down. They're very receptive after they've worked out really hard for an hour or two. 
and we'd have these deep meditations. And that's when we'd get kind of more like into the kirtan kind of thing, because people are open now. They've kind of shed their resistances. They've opened up their doors by sweating and breathing and moving together. So that's been the style of music I've been involved with all the way down the line. And yes, we practice certain songs so that we know the words and the basic progression of the song. But oh, in my, when, I'm, when I play with people, when I'm the leader of the group, I said, I really encourage freestyling, like harmonizing, play your own leads. If you want to sing something that goes with it, be my guest. We don't, don't worry about mistakes. Just open yourself up and make a joyful sound, however you can do it. <laughs> and so yeah. there's, there's, there, there's a lot of people that are not comfortable with that. They do need the structure. They need this, like, precision of this and that. And I'm the sort of like the find your place in the magic and just let it go. You know? Yeah, Absolutely, man. That's the way. I mean, I wish I don't understand why everyone I'm not a musician. But everything that I do that has had any meaning in my life was completely natural. Nothing was scripted, no formula trip. And it's become such a me. I mean, the bottom line, uh, did you guys ever cut a record or is there any material I can listen yeah, to? There, there, there's a few recordings out there. They're completely outdated. Well, no, and, I mean, but uh, I mean, I got to hear some of this burning dance music, dude. <laughs> you know we let in we let it i don't know if you ever i'm sure that uh we let in with this this guitar solo from uh bob redfield who passed away but that was off a live album from concerts by uh -huh. the sea from uh, yeah, yeah. cal jader and uh i yeah. you know those afro there was nobody who perfected the jazz and afro-cuban rhythms better than cal i mean and i just ass right. assume you must yeah, have seen him yeah Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was I, I was steeped in that. My main college professor at Sonoma State College is an incredibly accomplished artist and musician by a guy by the name of Myron Ort, O R T. Wow. Still, he's a very he's very elderly guy. You can wow. look him up on Facebook. Wow. He's still alive. He lives in Pengrove, California, and he is an absolute authority figure on all levels of Afro-Cuban and jazz music. And he has the record collection that, I mean, I hope they <laughs> give it to Smith. I, I hope when he dies, they give it to Smithsonian or something because the guy tracked down every lineage. When you talk about lineage of music. Mm -hmm. So anyways, these guys were my teachers and it was always about the free flow Yes, you have a structure that kind of holds things together, but always with the encouragement to do the improving skills. And it's a matter of being really comfortable on your instrument and just having a lot of trust for the other people you play with. And I think, you know, the kind of the, the big one to get over is the fear of making a mistake. You know, a lot of people don't want to feel like they made a mistake. I and know so, it's, uh, imperfection is perfection, man. You know that. I mean, yeah, and I don't get, yeah. Yeah, you know, but I think that comes yeah, with, sure. that comes with self-awareness. I mean, I, that it comes can. with, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I just, when it comes to like being, you know, I just, we have another name, that voice. I don't expect you to, I mean, you can try. I think you're pretty, uh, you're pretty heady cat. So you might get it, but uh, take a listen and we'll come back. Well, those are the very times that Bill would 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 uh, spoke to that. That these are those are the times when actually you really grow, when you really kind of are um, you're challenged because you're playing a repertoire that over and over again, or or the traveling is tough, or whatever. It's 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 very um, very trying, very stressful, and that's that's when when you have to really. Uh, Tighten your belt, you know, and 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 get get a hold of yourself, and that's when the our, the growth process often is um, is is at its at its best when when you're really under some pressure, duress. So. Can you? Um, that was uh, 
an interview I did with uh, Eddie Gomez, uh, who played with, nice. with Bill Evans. Uh, and, you know, I just wanted you to talk about a, a specific memory as we wrap up set one about a time on the bandstand or just, <laughs> and just in general when, when you like, like he was talking about when you're, you know, when you're, when you're grinding it out and the travel's hard and you haven't had anything to eat. And then for some unexplainable <laughs> reason, um, the band just clicks and things just, you realize that the, you realize that the friction and the tension and the really hard parts are the times where you grow the most. <laughs> well, starting at the very tail end of that experience in my old years, I, I drive thousands of miles to play gigs mm -hmm. anywhere, anywhere where someone wants me to go, mm -hmm. I will go. Okay. And I travel far and wide. Sometimes I get paid. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get paid well, you know, but it doesn't really matter. I'm going for the music and the fact that the people need it and want it. Okay. So that's, that's the end result, but I'll tell you some, a great story. It's a, and it's kind of a generic experience that happens to every single band mm -hmm. at least, a, at least a few times. But on the beginning, when you're, when you're in the lower, like in the earlier middle part of your career, not so much when you've been playing a long time, but in earlier parts of your career, you'll be up on a stage the sound system's all messed up. You can't hear anything. It's either too loud or too quiet. The sound guy's asleep at the switch, or the room has got terrible acoustics. And, you know, the communication between the musicians is messed up because the sonic qualities are bad. Maybe somebody's sick or they don't have the energy. But you're going to do the gig anyways. And so you start the gig, and it's absolutely like hell because you know how much better it could be you know that it's messed up but you've got to you know the show must go absolutely. on right absolutely and then all the people are dancing and they're <laughs> having a good old time and they're partying and they're smiling and they're looking at you like oh my god thank you for this music and the band is up there suffering like hell hmm. and you know you got another two hours to go and this this train has got two of the wheels off the track, you know. And it's like this, this strange mixture of joy and suffering. And you know, the, you go sometimes these experiences. They you, you have to play the whole night, and it's messed up the whole time, and it just it's just a total shit show on one level. But everybody's having the greatest time ever, and so it's like this twilight zone experience. And I, I, since I've had a few of those experiences, I've learned how to look at my other band members and pull everybody back into that unity place. And somehow it just clicks and the suffering ends. And just like when the, we're talking earlier about karma, yeah. when, when, when there's suffering going on, there's a chance to transform. There's an active call of your spiritual being. Your soul is calling you to move on to the next level and forgive and forget what happened before and come back to the present moment of the soul, which is ultimately bliss. So it's a chance to transform. And any musician that is coming from the soul level, not just the ego level, but the soul level, will, will experience these breakthroughs that come through suffering. Sharon, I'm... Uh... Can we uh, can we do set two? Yeah, no problem. Okay, this great. Very enjoyable. You're asking great questions. It's very interesting, and uh, sure, no, I would love to do that. All right, great. And thanks. Yeah. And thank you. Uh, and thanks to anybody out there who's listening to this stuff. If you want to look me up on Facebook, um, I'm happy to speak with people. I'm happy to. I'd love going all over the place to. I lead meditations and. Uh, I play music while leading meditation and then I work with the local musicians and have uh, spontaneous events all the place, all over the place all the time. So that's what I'm up to. I'm just curious. Do you, do you, did you have any interaction with Ken Kesey? 
Oh, absolutely. He lived in. I lived in Eugene, Oregon, for thirty years. Oh dear. All right. Let's just let's let's just do set two <laughs> as soon as possible. Because I wrote a whole book on the Babs, and they're all Mountain Girl. They're all. I mean, they're good friends of mine. And like I said, I mean, I, I just want to be clear though. Like at the end of the day, like the vanity of the musicians when you're in that psychic pain because it, you can't hear each other doesn't mean doesn't mean that it doesn't feel or sound good right i mean it's just sort of your own right yeah so you just got to learn to get over that but uh anyway man i really had a ball man i i and i i'm definitely still evolving on my path so a lot of the stuff that you shared today um and i believe it will have a, a great impact on on many people so thank you brother all right, all right. take care be cool Namaste. Namaste. Tremendous uh, transmission with uh, Sharanam Anandama. That's it for the Jake Feinberg Show. We'll be back. Until then, peace. Peace.